financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum, where we are talking about inflation and you are breaking it down for us. We're using coconuts. Can you believe it? <laughs> I like it. I can relate to this. I like when it's kind of, I mean, a lot of these terms, I'll, I'll even, I'll read them and in my head, I just think, okay, inflation is bad, but exactly why is it bad? Or you think you kind of have a basic understanding, but it's nice to get more in depth on it. Yeah, I think, I think the general consensus is, geez, inflation is bad and hyperinflation, you know, can really be bad. That can throw you into recession or even worse into depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, People often cite Germany and what pushed Hitler into into power was hyperinflation. I mean, that's what you know, people really react. We aren't there right now, but we are at a place where the feds are trying to cool this. And the way they're cooling it is what you mentioned earlier. They are raising interest rates four times since March, twice at three quarters of a point. You know, this is the highest inflation we've seen since 1982, Jeff. Mm. So... You know, of course people are concerned. And what got us here and what can you do to reverse the effects on your own? I'm curious before we get into that, though, if I could just ask. So when I'm seeing things like they're trying to cool inflation by raising the interest rates, but then that seems like it makes it harder for you to buy a house or buy things because your payments go up with the interest rates being higher. So how does that balance out the inflation because less people are buying I just love that you ask these questions, you know. Um, I feel dumb sometimes asking them, but, I, you know, I want to know. Well, you shouldn't feel dumb. That's exactly why we're talking about this, because I think that's what people think. Why, you know, so what sense does this make? Mm-hmm. I can't afford coffee already. You're going to raise the interest rate. Right. My is going to charge me more for coffee, and now I really can't afford a cup of coffee. Now I'm drinking those little cups of espresso, you know. <laughs> so that's the actual point, believe it or not. That is why they're doing what they're doing, because... Remember what I said caused that the prices to rise? Lack of supply and pent-up demand. Right. Everybody wants a house. They're paying more than what the house is worth. Mm-hmm. They're bidding wars on houses. This is going to go to a point where people cannot afford the mortgage. So what does the government do? They raise the prices, trying to convince you, believe it or not. This is my opinion, of course. But they're trying to convince you not to buy the expensive stuff. So that way they, they, they can build up the supply? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. So this is a this is a cycle. It's meant as a checks and balance. You know, they know 2% a year on average is okay. People can do that. Cost of wages goes up accordingly. You know, the prices are affordable. And unless somebody gets into real trouble, you know, they can manage on 2% per year. After that, they start to get concerned about it, and they start to try and pull it back. The higher the inflation the more drastic the reaction will be from the feds in order to cool the market. So that's why you saw them at first bump up by, you know, a half a point, and then everybody freaked out, oh, it's the first increase we've had in forever, and then, bam, a three-quarters percent, you know. Yeah, wake up. This is going to stop. And you are right. As interest rates increase, Mm -hmm. the cost of being able to buy a home has to decrease because people only have so much money, and they can only qualify for so much of a loan. So... What caused this really at the, at the basic uh, core, I think, over the last couple of years mm-hmm. is the pandemic in part. We had consumers that had built up big savings, right? They've been locked down for two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? They're not eating out as much. They're not spending as much. Their kids aren't going to camps. There's all kinds of things that aren't happening during a pandemic. And so where's that money going? It's being built up into savings. Plus, they're a little afraid. We don't know what's going to happen. 
when we get fearful, we hoard our money. Right. And then the government issued stimulus checks. So now, you know, we've got plenty of money, no place to spend it, and we're shopping online. You know, we're spending money however we can. And the demand was just driving this, this part of the inflation. If you, if, if you just go out right now into the street where people are driving, mm-hmm. you'll notice there's no light traffic. Everybody's still driving. Gas hit $5 a gallon, and the traffic lines were still out there. People are still buying because they haven't yet caught up to the idea, and I don't mean that in any insulting way, but this is a slow process. It's a cycle that we live in all the time, right? You've got to catch up to the idea that more stuff is coming that's going to be harder for you if we slide into recession. So here's a simple example. You mentioned that the cost of uh, buying a home is going up, the interest rates are rising. Mm-hmm. So what happens when home prices are high? If you're renting in somebody's home, you have to pay higher rent. Paying higher rent means that you are now you know, really pinching your wallet because you pr- your income probably didn't go up by anywhere near what your rent just did. Right. And that prices you out of being able to buy a home. So would-be buyers who might have moved from renting into buying in a, in a market where buying was less expensive than renting can't do that mm-hmm. because their rent is cheaper than buying right now. And that you just saw that shift recently where it was as expensive to buy a house as it was to rent a house. And there was sort of a level point for a bit. And now you're seeing a shift again where, you know, the cost of new houses, not the ones that people already own, but somebody buying a new house who's going to rent it out mm-hmm. is going to have to charge more in rent to cover it. So, you know, back in January, officials were saying, uh, about January, I would say, as my memory serves me, officials were saying, you know, oh, they don't see any evidence that we're going to have any rapid inflation and there won't be any permanent failure of the economic landscape, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And now here we are, you know, raising interest rates multiple times to cool inflation, and it's only August. Is that similar so, to the people saying that we're not going to be going into a recession or that it's not likely because it feels like that way? It's funny. We talked about that last show, too. It does feel like that, but there are some economic factors that would cause you to maybe believe, yeah, we might get out of this by the skin of our teeth. We've got a strong job market. We've got housing prices, you know, are still on the rise to some extent Mm -hmm. uh, until until the interest rates really cause the brakes to go on. I passed a bank the other day that had a sign up that said, just in time, you know, (laughs) get your mortgage just in time. And I thought, yeah, that was clever. (laughs) So anyway, I promised that we would talk about things you can do personally. And the very first thing you can do is to think like a contrarian. So start thinking about, yeah, I know prices are going up, but I really want that house. I really want to buy this before they go up too far. You know, you might be in a position where that's your decision right now. But you might also think about, you know, could I wait this out a year? You know, would a year make a difference to me? Let's see where we are a year from now. You know, most of the estimates, I think, are that what we're feeling might last six months to a year. Some people think longer, but we don't know. But can you, you know, there's no guarantee that that will work. But can you think about that? And does that give you an extra six months or a year to really start saving your money, start stockpiling this money? So I know you have extra money and you want to spend and everybody, I mean, it's, it's like rampant right now. People are putting windows in at $50,000 for their house and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's astonishing. But, you know, just think, okay, if that's what everybody else is doing, maybe I should be doing something opposite. Do you think there's going to be a sweet spot where the housing prices come down before the interest rates go up too much where it doesn't make sense? Yes. Okay. I do. And I, and I hope so. And that's usually what happens is it's like a rubber band. 
you know, it stretches too far one way, the feds pull it back a little bit, and then it gets a little elasticity, and banks will get uh, more competitive. The feds may start to lend at banks at any kind of a discount at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. That will bring back down. And, uh, yeah, you may be able to do that. Plus, they always come out with new mortgages. Look, now you have some new thing you can do that saves you money. Or you might take a variable rate mortgage because you think it's, you know, you're going to be able to refinance it later. There's always things you can do. But the biggest thing I want people to pay attention to, I think, here is about their savings. So the people that get hurt the worst in this, what I would call financially marginalized or financially insecure people. Okay. A, a wealthy person, yeah, they might cut back on taking a vacation mm-hmm. or not going to eat so much or something. But the fact of the matter is, for people who have lower incomes, they have to still buy food. They still have to buy gas. They still have to have daycare. The, a larger portion of their income is spent on essentials. Mm-hmm. They don't have a choice. They have to eat. They have to drive. Right? I mean, that's, and so it takes up a bigger portion of their income. And so they get hit harder than anybody. And where do people who have middle income or lower income turn to if they have any savings? And the first thing I would say is if you can build any emergency savings by way of cutting your budget or, you know, widening this gap at all, asking for a raise, doing any of that. Try to protect yourself by building some emergency reserves that you are not spending Mm -hmm. on things that are not emergencies. But also, you know, most people with less income, lower income, or even middle to middle upper income, will turn toward putting their money into a safe account because they can't, they fear that they'll lose it if they put it in, you know, mutual funds or stocks or something that that has an inherent risk to it. Right. And so when you do that, you're getting these low interest rates we're talking about, and inflation is out, outrunning you. I mean, you're, you're losing money every year to inflation. You don't know it. You don't notice it. But your account is growing at 2%. Inflation's at whatever, let's say 4 just for the sake of argument. And so you're losing, you know, tw- you're spending twice as much money as you're earning. That's going backwards. That's what we call going broke safely. Now, people tend to take on risk on the other side and say, well, I'll put it all in the stock market. But stocks are very sensitive to recession because not all stocks, a stock is just ownership in a company. Mm-hmm. Let's suppose that you own stock in a company. And let's hope can- it's not Bitcoin. <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> But let's say you own stock in a company that cannot easily pass these price increases to their customers. Mm-hmm. There's too much competition. There's some reason they can't raise their prices. Their customers can't afford more, whatever it is. They have to absorb those costs. That means their price-to-earnings ratio is going to change. That means you're going to end up possibly with the stock that's dropping in value. So you can see how this is all tied together. So what can you do? One thing you can do, of course, is to watch your budget. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. And another thing you can do is you can look for any sort of product or investment that offers you some guarantees, but which outpaces the kinds of guaranteed accounts we're talking about, CDs, money market savings accounts, right? So in order to do that, many people turn toward toward a a type of annuity, a fixed indexed annuity, for instance, or any kind of other annuity where they might feel like they have guarantees not a variable annuity which doesn't have guarantees, although there's, you know, there's some reason, there are reasons to people like that product, mm-hmm. but it is because it's got the guarantees that we're talking about. But when you do that, you can really widen this gap. Now, I won't talk about the specifics, but I will tell you that I do a lot of work um, in this area, in, in particular with one product that actually guarantees for income purposes, not, not in the cash value, but if you're going to take your money at retirement as an income stream, right? Mm-hmm. But actually guarantees an 8% per year rate, a roll-up rate, for 10 years. 
absolutely guaranteed at that rate. That's really so good. It's, yes, I mean, and it's a safe account. You don't have risk of principal. But you do have to spend a little time digging in, reading about this, learning about it, you know, having somebody like me explain it to you in a way that, that makes sense. So you know what you're buying because there are too many out there that say these kinds of things and then have caveats where the company can then move how they pay later on. And in this particular case, they can't. If the contract is written in, bam, that's what you're getting. So I'm not suggesting that you have to do that, but that's one of the ideas that you can use to widen this gap. If you can put your retirement dollars somewhere where you can, you know you're going to have that kind of an earning for at least 10 years, uh, then you, know, you can stop worrying about whether inflation is at 4% if you're earning 8. At least you're outpacing inflation, and you don't have the risk that you would have if you were to they lose money in the stock market. Yeah, there's so, a little wiggle room there. Yeah, so you have to just widen that gap. Stop spending as much as you as you can. You know, build up your emergency cash reserves. Think like a contrarian. And I would say most of all, don't go broke safely. Just, you know, pay attention. You can do this. You really can. And if you need some extra help, which I think most of us do, what is the number for people to get a hold of you at? Uh, they can reach us at 413-773-3333. Or visit HugYourMoney.com. Can you give us the exact date that the interest rates and the mortgages are going to line up, the value of the house? Yeah, just like I used to say, I can give you a life policy if you can give me your date of birth and date of death. <laughs> All right, we will have another episode of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rame, coming up next Saturday right here on WHMP. Have a great week. Thanks, Jeff.